This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Shopping.io. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are watching and listening a very special edition of Untold Stories where, <laughs> where twice a week or even now three times a week, together we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders by weaving a personal nuanced narrative, understanding where we came from, where the hell we are right now in this moment and where this whole industry is going. And I'm so pleased and so honored. Today is a very special episode. We're recording out of Melrose Podcast Studio live in person with one of my I, my super good friends, Jeremy Gardner. Jeremy, you're an American serial entrepreneur, investor, philanthropist based now here in Beverly Hills, California. You were uh, recently based in Miami. You're, you're primarily known for everything. Everyone knows you. <laughs> Your early investments in Bitcoin, the Crypto Castles brand, co-founder of Augur. Probably the reason that Ethereum even exists today is because the first one of the first projects like Augur gave it its validation and existence back in, in 2014, 2015. And even before Augur, you co-founded the Blockchain Education Network, a huge, huge nonprofit. Uh, you found a distributed magazine and you continue to, to be involved in, in so many different projects and ventures. And recently now, you're the co-founder and CEO of Made Man, a men's skincare cosmetic company featured in publications like Maxim, The Daily Front Row, and Wealth Magazine. And really thank you for, for giving us Bitcoiners like a better name because you're going out there and, and showing that Bitcoiners, we care about our skin and, and how it all looks. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what I want Bitcoiners to do is just to invest in themselves and not just invest in Bitcoin but to invest in self-care because, you know, it's easy to go crazy looking at those screens all day, watching the price go up and down and not do anything for yourself besides get rich. And getting rich isn't fun if you're unhealthy. Isn't that such an interesting, um, you know, you look at you look at our whole industry and you look at it as like a, a, a path that we're going down. And if you were to say, what type of companies would exist in the space? What type of products would be launching to service not just the the infrastructure, but the companies, but also the people? And so I would I would actually say Made Man is a crypto company because really you launched it for yourself and you've been in the industry for so long. You know pretty much everyone. You've done so many amazing things. And then so you're launching, you're saying, oh, I think it's time to look inward and to focus on ourselves. And that's really, really such an amazing thing. You had me on your podcast recently, What Makes a Man? And I was blown away. We recorded for two hours and you gave me such an introspective thought about, about life. And so thank you for having me on your show, actually. Well, I love to dive deep. I mean, look, you know, you gave me an incredible introduction and I am flattered. Uh, I like to think I've had an impact on the crypto industry and um, many lives. But if you think about what makes someone successful, what makes man, none of that would have been possible without all my failures, without all my shortcomings, addressing and realizing those failures in my life. And, you know, I thought it was time to start a podcast to address those things. So I rallied the most interesting men I know, going to have a bunch of badass women as well. But really, I want to have a conversation about what it, what it means to be a man in today's society 
And if you're not getting vulnerable, if you're not getting deep, if you're not getting raw and not that authentic and genuine, you know, we're going to continue to perpetuate these facades of success. And if anyone knows that success comes with a cost, it's probably you. Uh, and so I was so glad we were able to go on my show and talk about those things because there are costs associated with uh, fame, wealth, uh, success, as we call it. Yeah, and a lot of people don't focus on the on those failures. But if you notice, when when someone walks up to you in the street and they recognize you or they know what you did in this industry or even... Uh, a celebrity who did something or movie star, a, a, a sports player, anyone, royalty. It's usually whatever their failure was that people remember how they took that failure and make it in, made it into a success. It's like they say, you know, the world loves a comeback kid. And so I was really happy with that. Um, coming out of my whole life situation, I didn't realize I was nervous. We were talking about this on the show over what my future would be, but I didn't realize that if you can actually take that failure and take all of the failures that you have, harness those, it's very easy to have success because now you know how to fail. You literally learned, like, I forgot who said it, and I'm always tweeting it on my Twitter, but the best way to learn how to make money in crypto is to lose money first. And then Arthur, um, Arthur from um, BitMEX would say to me, you know, this is how I got people to, to actually start earning money in Bitcoin, is I would tell them to download a Bitcoin wallet and I would tell them to go uh, download a whole a crypto wallet and then start doing the opposite of your friends. If your friends say buy something, if you're if you read the news and you see something, do the opposite. Do the opposite. Try to lose as much money as you can in 30 days. And then based <laughs> on that, after those 30 days, you'll know exactly which sources were right, which were wrong. You create a flow. So it's all about using your failures to make your own success. Well, I think people don't appreciate how volatile uh crypto is it, 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 and more broadly life is but 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 crypto is this thing where people have all these complicated like charting mechanisms for yeah. uh, deciding how they're gonna play the market and i just think it's outrageous because if you go and try to chart based stuff of like like different like diagrams like waves yeah you can't uh, use like, the past to predict the future <laughs> especially with bitcoin I technical mean, analysis i can't tell you how many times i've sent a tweet and a crypto has gone up or down based off of that tweet you couldn't have charted for that yeah like i can't tell you how many times i've decided okay like the price of this crypto asset that you know, I got given like as a gift or something. Sure. Uh, it, it's way too high. I'm just going to sell it all. I don't even really care how much it affects the price. And boom, it dumps. Like, like crypto is riddled with black swan events. So unless you're investing in crypto rather than trading in crypto, you're going to get screwed. I mean, inevitably. I, I think the best traders you know, when they can really algorithmically quantify where the price is going to go or or quantify price movements, they can make money. But any sort of casual day trader is going to get burnt. They're okay, what's the difference? Shorts. What's the difference? Someone right now, friends come up to me all the time. I help them download the Voyager app. There's 60 assets right there. The inclination is I want to speculate. I want to just buy up. I want to trade, trade, trade. 
I need to buy and then sell or like constantly day trading. But what you're saying, and it's I completely agree with you. We should be looking at them not as like we're so like that investment word is a is a strong word, like especially legally. But also you're not speculating. So maybe it is somewhere in between, but you have to look at it as like something that you're buying for a five year period and you can't get focused on the day to day. I just tell people like unless you want to give your life to this, unless you really think trading is your like life cause. Just buy some Bitcoin and Ether and let, let it ride. It's, you know, if, if you put the majority of your wealth into those two assets yeah. and, and just sit for five years, I guarantee you, you're going to be wealthier than you would be doing just about anything else. Like, it, it's good investment. And now, if you really want to immerse yourself in the industry, start to investigate other crypto assets and take small stakes in those. But don't pay attention to the day to day. The trading is just doesn't end well ever. It never does. It never does. Uh, I've, I've lost so much money trying to, to day trade like uh, a different coin or token at the end of the day. The best ones were the ones that I held on to year over year. Um, but it's so easy to FOMO. It's so easy to like FOMO out of something today, especially like the crypto markets are going haywire. You see so much FUD out of like China banning Bitcoin. Oh, I think that's great. Wait, uh, and I know it, it's great. And it's great for mining. It's it's one of China. Thank you, China, for, for get, you know, because having Bitcoin mining and crypto mining in one centralized location, it doesn't matter where it is. Yeah, especially country. like, <laughs> thank you for doing our job for us, like getting rid of mining and more like, de, you know, distributing it. But I was trying to tweet an article this morning about China banning Bitcoin. And I like, I wanted to let, you know, the less, let the list, my, my followers and listeners know and I, I accidentally tweeted an article from 2013 where the words were exactly the same. Yeah, it was exactly the same. I mean, narratives don't change that much. Narratives are something that the general public can understand. And, you know, there are two, thing, two narratives out of China. One, the consolidation of the hash rate or mining in China. And two, the use of fossil fuels to... Uh, to fuel that mining, neither of which you want. Yeah, true. So, so if the FUD is that China is banning mining, God bless. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Xi. Like, I am so happy that China does not have mining anymore or does not, is not enabling mining in the country anymore because that means that mining is going to go to the West and guess what they do in the West? They focus on green renewable mining, which is, as Elon made very like poignant, uh, the most important development in crypto is that this technology is used to foster green innovation and green money. And I think that will happen as more and more miners are s set up in geothermal, hydro, uh, solar, um, locations where there is no real carbon output. So you think Elon Musk's view were like, Bitcoin is great now and it's fine now in terms of how much energy it uses. But he kind of knows how big Bitcoin will get 100 times bigger. And he's not comfortable with how much energy it'll be used then. So his view is he needs to like, in, in his hero mentality, stop that happening now, even if it puts a negative damper on the crypto markets for a while 
in order for it to be successful in the future. And it goes back to like, you know, your tweets and things like that, being able to like change the outlook of the world. Yeah, I mean, look, I was talking to my dad, who's an environmentalist. My parents were very liberal. You know them. And uh, and we were actually kind of remarking how it's, it's amazing what Elon's tweets did. Yeah, it sent the price crashing when he said, all right, we're not accepting Bitcoin at uh, Tesla anymore because it's... It, it it's not good for the environment. We're trying to create a more green world. But then all of a sudden, all these miners are coalescing, saying like, coalescing and saying, look, we're green. Look at all of our green mining facilities. And all of a sudden, this industry is actually moving towards being green as a result of realizing that climate change is a real issue. And it's something that we can actually be at the forefront of. And for years, the libertarian types in crypto have had this argument that I was kind of cynical of. Tell me, tell me. That it was that that because a miner is looking for the best possible margins and the cheapest possible energy source, they'll inevitably gravitate towards green energy sources because they're renewable. Yeah, I would make and, that point too. So, and, and, but 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 it but it's taken time to see that play out. But if you look at the market right now and you look at what the miners are doing, they in fact are moving towards green energy sources. And if you look at the pitch stacks I'm receiving, it's for yeah incredible innovations in Bitcoin mining that don't just apply to Bitcoin mining. It's for all data centers. And data centers consume a tremendous amount of energy. You know, we talk about like Bitcoin mining consuming the same amount of energy as small nations. Well, guess what Amazon, Google, and the largest internet companies are doing with their cloud computing? They are consuming a massive amount of electricity. And, And yet their margins aren't really affected by the electricity costs nearly as much as Bitcoin is. So the Bitcoin miners are having to innovate in terms of their data center consumption and renewable use far more than the the large tech conglomerates. But what they're doing is innovating and finding new technologies to make mining cheaper and more efficient and more green. And those innovations can be passed over to the rest of the internet and the rest of the data center industry to the point where all of a sudden data centers are completely green and Bitcoin will have, in fact, been this driver of green innovation in a way that the libertarians were right. Oh, 100%. It'll Which, be looked back on in that way. It's befuddling. No, and you're, it, but all the libertarian, the, the difference is, I think at the end of the day, no one argues with what the end goal is. I think the libertarian view is like, it'll happen on its own eventually. And And I understand why you would get kind of cynical of that. And I would too, because... Markets are efficient when we allow them to be, but they're slow and it, it doesn't take a lot of time. And then governments and people and regulators and, and private individuals, we want to get in the way of that. We want to like make things go faster towards where we want them to be. So that's kind of what happened. But you're right. At the end of the day, Bitcoin mining, crypto mining, especially the ones that stick with like proof of work, um, is going to be a lot more efficient. I don't like, I don't like coming to these new blockchains that are using hostility and the anti-Bitcoin 
movement to further their own gains as a as a as a blockchain like oh like chia is so like their whole marketing thing is anti-bitcoin and i and like i want to call them out because it was started by two friends of mine and i know they're listening ryan stop with the hostility on bitcoin like it's annoying yeah i mean i just believe and will always believe that a rising tide lifts all ships and when there's infighting in this industry, it's a bad look for all of us because guess who ends up uh, taking those talking points that we use against each other? The mainstream media, politicians, and they use our talking points against us as a whole. They don't care wow, about the brilliant. differences between Solana and Bitcoin and Ethereum and Ripple. Like They just see us as one bad, nasty industry, but they're taking the talking points we're using against each other uh, and targeting targeting all of us. And so we need to stop this infighting. We need to find solutions together and support each other. And, you know, talk about what other blockchains do that are good and talk about what makes us different without disparaging the other, because when we disparage the other, those talking points end up being used to hurt all You're of right. us. You're right, because we're all seen as one technology and yeah. we're all seen as like different branches of, and most of the world understands like you have tech and then you have the internet and you have a lot of different types of technologies that do the same thing. The world understands that, but that's not how the media and like this FUD is portraying us. So you're right, when we go against each other, let's talk about like Bitcoin 2021 in Miami a little bit. We were just there, hugest event in the world. And I, I bring it up because I look at it as a precedent of, of setting the tone for the next 10 years. And I was nervous if it was going to be like a maximalist type of event. And it was so farthest from that. It was such a glorification of the history and the fun and, you know, what Bitcoin has brought to us. But if you go to the exhibitor booth, they weren't Bitcoin companies. They were Playboy magazine. Yeah, they were Playboy magazine where Bitcoin companies, also tons of different blockchain companies that have different altcoins. But you know what they did? They had fun Bitcoin related boots like, like the Bitcoin wheel and Bitcoin museum. And they was like, hey, this is our company. We're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Bitcoin. So I understand it's like, yeah, whatever. But I, I thought that set the good tone. I thought that it, it the, that, that managing that line was a very difficult thing to do. And they did a good job at it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, I think there was this great headline in the New York Times. It's like tens of thousands of people came to descend upon Miami to glorify Bitcoin. I mean, it was it, it was a, a a glorious event. It was this moment of tr triumph almost. I mean, you think about where we were a decade ago, less than a decade ago. Right when I got into the industry, um, you know, I had seen Bitcoin being this tool for buying drugs on the Internet. Then I saw it as a tool for speculation. But I didn't see it as a like, vehicle for the transformation of humanity or for a new financial system. Then you went to jail and it was just like those were dark times. Like, like, you know, the the crypto people that thought everything was great i mean we they were delusional it was bad like like there was a good chance that bitcoin was going to fail 
Just Be- about gave up too yeah, when I was sitting uh, in prison. Yeah, uh, because Bitcoin had a lot. Uh, you know, technology is morally agnostic, and a lot of the the negative use cases for Bitcoin were being highlighted, and like, like what happened with you, what happened with Silk Road, those were the headlines. And so for us to break free of those negative associations, to start talking about blockchain technology, to talk about the disintermediation of middlemen, and to be able to create a new narrative that took hold, that allowed, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, like this whole movement to flourish despite you know, some negative past historical events yeah. uh, is remarkable. And to see where Bitcoin is today for tens of thousands of dollars and being adopted as legal tender in other countries and really being understood as this medium of exchange that transcends, you know, the current uh, monetary model of, you know, fiat currencies. It, it, it it's a remarkable evolution and and it was celebratory and it was fantastic and yeah there's shortcomings to the conference in that you know we weren't discussing all the incredible uh, uh achievements that have been made outside of just bitcoin but in this blockchain technology space but what was important is that bitcoin the og crypto is still here it's still thriving and it's still going to be this tool for good that we've all envisioned it as. I love that because El Salvador is such a perfect example of a country that has been taken advantage of and taken hostage by the World Bank and IMF for decades. Anyone go and read Confessions of, a, of an Economic Hitman, they can understand. Oh my God. Oh, right? That's one of my, I read that freshman year of high school. I What a mind-boggling book. You, but it fully explains everything. Yes. It, it, really go read that book. It is such, it will change your view of the global economy. And and what he talks about is, and I don't, we can't ruin the book for people. You'll understand why El Salvador actually went towards accepting Bitcoin as legal tender last week. And even if nothing but symbolic, doing it and going through the process of making Bitcoin legal tender is hyper-symbolic and a shot, there's a word, it's like the shot across the bow to the global, to the global you know, reserve world that is looking at Bitcoin as this thing that was more of like a joke or a meme thing. And all of those narratives have been pushed upon us. And so my friends who are in Africa, in South Africa, they look at it like, hey, in our country, in our country or, or in, in one of their countries, you know, I, I don't want to mention which one specifically to, to call someone out, but they get worried that every time there's a political issue that those who protest against the current regime or for like the newer, like if you take the wrong side, you know, you see these political protests and all over the world all the time and the countries get toppled. There is a real fear every day that in these countries, if you're on the wrong side, they'll actually freeze the bank accounts of everyone on the other side. They'll economically freeze you out. So forget just turning off the internet. And that's just if you have a bank. That's if you have a bank account. (laughs) So you look at self-sovereignty, the ability to have money that transcends politics, culture, everything. That's the whole point here. Well, that's what got me into crypto. 
I mean, I wasn't that interested in the crypto anarchist like vision of the world where there was no government, there was no taxation. But the idea that there was a universal form of money that transcended like borders and allowed someone to keep their wealth, no matter how volatile that that wealth would become in a way that allowed them to cross borders without risk of seizure. That's powerful. I mean, we're both Jews. We we, we know what happens to, to to populations when your wealth can be seized. You you, you can be impoverished. You can be you, you can have everything you've worked for taken away. And with Bitcoin, you have something that is unseizable. It's powerful. Censorship resistant. Yeah. Let's rewind back to the early days. Let's rewind to when you had first uh, not heard about Bitcoin, but when, and I know when you kind of decided to jump full time, but when did you start to teeter into it? I think you were uh, the ideas of of launching the blockchain educa- education network. You were getting with Joey and eventually conceptualizing Augur. What were the, some of those early years like? And and what what did I look like in those years? Because I I feel like I'm calm and relaxed now. But when we met, I was you 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 and I met. It was my birthday party. We actually met in Miami over teleprompter, but we met physically. Chicago, was, yeah, yeah. It was my birthday party in um in New York City, and that that my girlfriend was now my wife Courtney is throwing for me and. And um, I was like, going to prison in two months. Look, I came into Bitcoin and I was just like, I don't know what I want with my life. Uh, I I wanted to create positive change in the world. I had tried Occupy Wall Street when I was in college. Oh, did you really? Yeah, yeah. I was there every weekend. Zuccotti Park? Yeah, in Zuccotti Park. And the problem was, there were a lot of problems, but one, we didn't make any demands. We got the world's attention. We spread to all the biggest cities in the world demanding change uh, in how the financial system was run. But without demands, nothing could really happen. And, you know, I think what happened as a result was that, you know, we paved the pathway for folks like Elizabeth Warren, who has not become a friend of Bitcoin uh, uh, for Bernie Sanders, AOC, which is good. I mean, I think having very like strong leftist ideas counterbalance is a nice counterbalance to some of the real zealotry that exists on the right. Uh, But nothing was accomplished. So I tried to go into government and I worked for the governor of Massachusetts, helped run the campaign of the woman who's now attorney general. What year was this? 2013. Okay. And uh, I just saw that my ability to have an impact was very limited. I was going to raise money. I was going to push papers. but I wasn't going to have the impact on the world that I wanted. It would look good on a LinkedIn, but you wanted to actually like do shit. Yes. Yeah. LinkedIn, I learned, was a facade. And so I transferred to the University of Michigan, moved in with a Bitcoin enthusiast, and I read the Satoshi white paper. I listened uh, to Charles Hoskinson's uh, uh, Udemy uh, Bitcoin courses, and I like watched your talks, and I read about you, and I was like, all right, this is this crazy, spunky, upstart movement. And honestly... 
I thought most of the people in this industry are batshit insane. They <laughs> go to jail. Don't, they don't know what they're talking about, but they are talking about a technology that allows you to be your own bank. So fuck what they have to say. It's the technology that matters. Let me get in this. And I'm going to start pushing this as a tool for making the world better. And so I started an educational nonprofit, bringing all the young people in the world that were enthusiastic about this technology, not for getting rich, but for making the world better, um, together in one kind of decentralized global educational initiative. And it was through that initiative that I developed some credibility in this space met a brilliant 18-year-old computer scientist, Joey Krug, who had started the Pomona Bitcoin Club. We, you know, had this incredible just rapport. And I was like, you know what? Nothing else is working. That spring, I applied to like 25 internships yeah. for the summer. Didn't get any of them. Start, had, start, I started this nonprofit bringing all these Bitcoin clubs together. And I was like, screw it. I'm going all in. Let's like, let, let's make this happen. And I, I really just gave myself to the Bitcoin space because I knew. And yeah, this that's is, when you really go all in. And this is what I told my parents when I dropped out of school. I was like, look, this Bitcoin thing has a 5-10% chance of being successful. And if I don't give my all to making it successful uh, and it becomes successful, I and I, you know, chose my formal education over that. I'll regret, I will regret that for the rest of my life. And I decided that wasn't worth it. I it dismayed my parents, but I dropped out of school. I spoke to you. But it, I was like, I'm going to drop out of school. You're like, don't do it. I think it. I told you to stay in school. <laughs> let's, talk, let, let's talk about that because I think that was an important moment for you. It was an important moment for me because if I had seen you in any other moment, I would have said, screw school, quit today, you know, go work for, go start any, it doesn't matter if, if even it's a 0.001% of succeeding, if you feel it in your gut and your instinct and you love something, you got to try it out because regret sucks. But when I was talking to you, you were talking to a beaten man. Like I was beaten. I was down. I had lost. So it's like you coming to me and saying, hey, should I pick up where you left off? Should I go fight this war? And I'm saying, no, don't. It's don't. not worth it. It's not. I'm going to jail now. I don't know what's going to be lifelike after this. So I think it was a perfect time. And I'm happy that you saw beyond, you know, the, the, the loss that I was going through and, and you continued and you did what you did. But you're right. Those years after that were, were probably tough years for the industry. For me, it was easier because I was inside. I was not focusing on anything. I was focusing on my life. And you were focusing on survival. relationships and survival. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But what was it like those years being in like outside, like 2015, 2016, not it, being it, in prison? Well, e even late 2014, it was grueling. I mean, people forget like Bitcoin was hovering around 200, 250 bucks for a long time. Ethereum launched and, you know, it was worth you know, 3x more than it had uh, ICO'd for. Still but, pennies, though. But it was still pennies. It was 75 cents, 80 cents. You know, everyone was calling um, Ethereum vaporware. There was the scaling wars. Like, like, it was just a bunch of industry infighting. No one cared about 
Bitcoin. Like it was like this technology had so much promise, but we had we we didn't really have a way. And I was trying to give it one. I try. I really tried to be some sort of evangelist that could, you know, give us moral supremacy over the current financial system. Uh, and, and fortunately, there wasn't too much greed in that time because nobody was making money. And so I think that's really why my voice was heard in 2015, 2016, because I was talking about how this technology could be this tool for good. And, you know, Augur did an ICO and we raised, you know, five and a half million dollars in one of the biggest crowd. Yeah, that was huge at the time. Huge at the time. And, and, and I showed like, look, it, but the average investment in the Augur ICO was like twelve hundred dollars. It was it was really democratized. And we had something that showed that there was a power in the crowds, the, uh, the power in the masses. And like. I felt like I had a voice. I had I had something to say and I had an ability to communicate to the masses that, hey, we're not all here to get rich. Like I'm putting all my money into this because I believe this is the future. But if it all goes to zero, it's worth it anyway, because this technology can and will make the world better. And so I invested, I, I took like rent, I took like speaking fees, I took consulting fees, I took everything in crypto. And then, you know, unfortunately with Augur and what happened with the ICOs, I kind of opened Pandora's box to what I didn't you want. You did. <laughs> Not like the Pandora's box was open, but that first one showed the world what this technology can actually do. And that is tokenizing energy. That's what you did. You tokenized tokenizing value. Yeah. You tokenize future value. I, I, I look at, I go up even and I say energy because value is derived from energy. Same thing why Bitcoin is value because you're mining Bitcoin. You're transferring energy into this stored value in Bitcoin. And But what you showed was that, hey, Bitcoin is not just a value, like a battery bank value, like it's a, a future value battery, but but you can actually like tokenize that too for different things. And like you said, it did open up that Pandora's box. And actually right after this break, we're going to talk about what happened right after that. The most important part of our Bitcoin and crypto industry is being able to not only earn money in crypto, but also be able to spend it, earn rewards in crypto and keep that uh, revolution going, keep the cycle going of all of us together. Well, my partners at shopping.io are offering just that multi-tiered discounts up to 10% where you can spend your crypto anywhere that you're already buying everything already, Amazon, Walmart, eBay, but use your crypto to spend it, earn back cash back, earn back rewards. And not only that, but if you go to untoldstories.link forward slash shopping.io, you get an additional on top of every other discount, an additional 2%. So you can go there now and shop and get 12% off of everything you're already buying anyways uh fantastic fantastic company thank you guys so much uh make sure you check them out at untoldstories.link forward slash shopping.io and we're back with jeremy so you so we're in the throes and it's these are the these are the dark years we call them the medieval years you know it's like you look back the you had the roman era you have the romans built beautiful stone walls and and stone homes and then the roman empire just disappeared 
And for, for another, for, I don't know, hundreds, maybe a thousand years after that, uh, we were building, you know, humanity, we couldn't rebuild those same walls. We, we were building thatch and mutt huts inside those decaying Roman buildings. Those were those kind of like years. It was like every day you were, you were worried about survival. And so Augur, Pandora's box opens up, you, you, you merge blockchain educa education network. And, and then the first crypto castle decides to, to, to come about. How did, why, why decide to amalgamate and consolidate all of the talent and the team and the people into one place to make sure you can like be on top of them? You know, when you're a young entrepreneur, you don't have much money to your name. Nothing is really a calculated decision. Everything comes out of necessity. Uh, when I dropped out of school, first moved to LA and then to San Francisco, you know, the team that would become Augur was in a really bad place. Uh, the CEO of the company that had brought us out was just a psychopath. Uh, he, but he was the one that had gotten an angel investor that was bootstrapping the business. And we realized that, you know, we couldn't work with this guy. Like we, we had, and we had created, we had found this white paper for Truthcoin, a blockchain-based oh, yeah. uh, prediction market platform on Bitcoin. And we decided, all right, when we were moving out to San Francisco, we need to get rid of the CEO guy. We need to start a new entity. It's going to be a nonprofit. We're going to create an open source software foundation the Forecast Foundation for Augur. Um, let's get it. We got a house in like the hate, uh, which I'd always wanted to live in, being a deadhead growing up. The then the pipes burst at that house. Oh my god. We didn't really have much money. Like we couldn't really make a deposit. I don't even know how we had secured the lease on that house. But anyway, the only house we could get in the last minute, I'm in Brussels actually at the time. With Vitalik speaking at a Bitcoin conference, super tiny, maybe like a hundred people. This is the first time I had really hung out with Vitalik in person. But the guys in my house end up securing a lease on a two-bedroom basement apartment outside of San Francisco. Um, and there are six of us living in it. And I come back from Brussels and it's this like dingy apartment. Oh, so and it's like crypto garage. It's not a crypto castle. I called it the Bitcoin basement. The ba uh, <laughs> because at that time, we were building Augur on the Bitcoin blockchain. And uh, so, and it was just funny. Uh, I love alliteration. And so, I, things are not looking good. Like, we, we release our white paper, however, for building a decentralized prediction market on Bitcoin. On top of Bitcoin, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yes. And everyone loves it. Like yeah. Chris Dixon and Mark Andreessen from A16Z tweeted out. I think Bellagi as well. Andreas Antonopoulos. Like all the big names in crypto back then uh, were, were talking about our white paper. It was exciting. Like people knew prediction markets, knew they hadn't been successful yeah. in killer app manner. potentially too. It seemed like a killer app. And so we were, we were kind of getting hot. Like I had already built a reputation with the blockchain education network. Now I was leading this project that Bitcoiners were excited about. And, you know, that summer of 2014, BitPay had been talking about decentralized all the things, but 
nobody really knew what to decentralize. Mm. And prediction markets really seemed like this great use case. Uh, so as much as like, you know, we, we had just lost our angel investor. This is now the fall of 2014. We're living in this dingy basement apartment. Things are feeling good. We released this white paper. We're getting invited to events. I'm invited to go speak. Like things are looking good. I'm like, all right, we need to raise like, I think it was something like $250,000. I think that will get us to June or or or, or the spring, whenever we were going to do an ICO to release our tokens, because it was becoming clear that we we're going to have to issue out some sort of token or, or release a software. I'm not really sure. It's kind of hazy right yeah. now. But 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 what happened was, you know, we kept on meeting with investors. Um like Tim Draper, like we went and pitched him in front of his startup school. He was like, What makes Augur different than Dogecoin? And we were like, oof. <laughs> All right. Maybe maybe this is not maybe, the right uh, conversation. Uh, I'm like, oh no. We went to Pantera. And uh, I, we saw we, Steve Waterhouse, who I was re- recollecting this conversation with uh, uh, a while ago. Joey, obviously, my co-founder yeah. of Augur, would go on to uh, run How Pantera. funny is that? And Pantera <laughs> turned me down, too, for an investment. But yeah, so we went, went and talked to Pantera, and he's like, I, we just think you're going to jail. That's what brought. That's what he said to me, and I did go to jail. <laughs> he wasn't wrong about one of us. And and and, 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 and you know, Brock Pierce, you know, Joey and I over the summer had been working on a point of sales startup, and and Brock was like, "Why don't you work on that?" Like I've worked in gambling. You don't want to do this. Like yeah. you're probably going to go to jail. I, pretty much every <laughs> luminary and investor said you're going to go to jail. There are a couple guys that were like, "Okay, like I like what you're doing." Like. And, and and we stopped looking for investment, like because we were nonprofit. Yeah. We we're like, we need a loan just to get us to do what we're doing. And and a few guys, you know, going now into the winter of 2014, said they'd give us a loan. Uh, but like like finances are getting tight. We're all living in this basement apartment. And so you asked why why were we all living together? It's because we had to. We we couldn't afford rent and food. And, and salaries and an office space. Like it just all had to be all in one. And I had had some money from investing in the stock market. I was very fortunate to have received a bit of money from my aunt when I was a teenager. And she taught me how to invest in the stock market. And then I had made some money doing some illegal That's things cool. when I had dropped out of college and invested that into the stock market. And so I had a bit of money, uh, low, 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 low six figures. And in January, just after New Year's of 2015, it became clear that we were out of money, like like things were bad or just before that. And we needed to get out of this like apartment. So I sold all my stocks, all the money I put in the uh, stock market over the past, you know, seven, eight, nine years, uh, which had turned into like a good amount of month, sure. money. Like I said, low six figures, like I was wealthy. And I was like, look, I, I didn't even feel like I had deserved that wealth because a lot of it had come from, uh, you know, my aunt. Some of it had come from selling weed. But it, I was like, look, I believe in this startup. Like, I don't mind putting pouring all my money into it. And like, I, my parents have already cut me off. Like, I just feel like if this is my chance to prove myself, I'm going to fucking do it. This is around when I see you. You try to get me to stay in school, but it's like no. Yeah, and I uh, and, and and we find this house, 
um, in San Francisco because the house we're staying in is not working. It's like flooding now because there was actually rain that fall. Like the, the the shitty basement apartment. And I find this house. It's a three-bedroom townhouse in Petrero Hill, San Francisco. And it's just a house. I mean, really, just a townhouse. And yet it has this sweeping view on the top floor of San Francisco. And I'm like, look at the Bitcoin basement. This is a oh, castle. Yeah. So I call it the fucking crypto castle. Yeah, and you do yoga on the yeah, roof. And, and, and I'm like, and like, like nobody back then, remember, like everyone had kind of given up on crypto back then. The industry was less than 100 companies. There wasn't a strong community in San Francisco. Let's create the focal point for the industry with our home. People can come stay. You know, Vitalik, my buddy from the conference circuit, from crash on our couch. You know, yeah. like, like I like just the had kid this, who writes for Bitcoin magazine, yeah, that Vitalik yeah. kid. No, no, no. He was working yeah, on yeah. Ethereum <laughs> at that point. But like, you know, I, I was like, you know, let's create this like community. And so we turned three bedrooms into seven, put in bunk beds, created this co-living space. And it was out of necessity. And, you know, I, 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 I used the money I made in the stock market, you know, to secure the lease. and. I, I put my entire wealth on the line it, because it didn't feel important uh, relative to what we could build. But what's so critical to understand is nobody would give us money. Nobody believed that this could be anything. And, and then to make things worse, I think what really set any potential investors over the edge from investing in us is that from like September or August, when we created Augur, we were trying to build Augur on Bitcoin and we realized we couldn't. And, and, and we were like, this, the, the UTXO, unspent transaction sure. output system, doesn't work for, for creating a prediction market system. And Vitalik, who I'd been on the conference circuit with, told me, hey, you should try building on Ethereum. And being the naive, young entrepreneur that I sure. was, I was like, Okay. I was like, like, guys, what do you think? And he had been an advisor to us because he loved prediction markets. It's like, why don't we try building this on Ethereum? And everyone's like, well, don't know what else to do. Yeah. <laughs> so we start building on Ethereum nine months before it's even launched to the dismay of many in the Bitcoin space. Definitely to the dismay of all of our potential investors who had all gotten wealthy off of Bitcoin. And were very skeptical of Ethereum because they did you know, they weren't sure if Ethereum worked, if that would be good for Bitcoin. Yeah. It's still some of them aren't. And, uh, and, and it was tough. I mean, it was grueling. I mean, we got into fights. Like, every day it felt like Augur was going to fail. I was flying around the world, shitty, shitty economy flight uh, seats, uh, you know, speaking at every conference I could to drum up support for what we realized was going to become one of the first ICOs yeah. and the first utility token ever issued on Ethereum. And then, and then finally, um, the industry wakes up again. It's 2017 all over again, or all over again for the first time. Um, we're back. Uh, we're growing. It's slowly. Uh, Augur launches. But I was mortified. I You're mean, mortified. I mean, late 2017, I was like, what the fuck have I done? I was because... Were you nervous of success at that point? No. So, so everyone told me I was going to jail for Augur. Everyone said if the Ethereum guys were going to jail... Well, for, uh, for Ethereum. Ethereum, yeah, but, the Bitcoin but, guys but, are going but, to jail. But, but the issue, no, 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 no one said that about <laughs> Bitcoin guys because who the fuck was this Satoshi? But but no, no, we we were told that like what we were doing was 
could be illegal. And I was like, no, we're creating new regulations. My team called me JG Esquire. I learned everything about Esquire. Uh, I learned everything about securities and gambling laws. I was like, we're not breaking the law here. Like we've created this novel innovation. We went and lobbied the CFTC. We went and spoke to regulators and we're like, this is what we were, we were doing. And Giancarlo, who wasn't the chairman think- yet of the CFTC, was like, oh, I love what you're doing. So we were in good shape. But then I started to see all the utility tokens that came after Augur. And they were they were securities. They, they, they were just cash grabs. And I was mortified that we had opened up this Pandora's box of just uh, un, unprecedented greed. And this tool we had created to actually go out and change the world was now just being used as a source of uh, creating just stupid, unwarranted wealth. And I think people were were nervous about it because, like you said, they had all these cash crabs and these other coins and tokens. But here, what you proved out with this technology is you talk about morality on and technology with prediction markets. People were afraid with what could be, what the future was for prediction markets. If enough people were on a prediction market predicting something, would there be an incentive or whatever? And we to know that, that not yeah, to make that reality. We know that not to be the case, and there's a lot of game theory behind it. But the fear was that if you have this unregulated on a tech, not that it's unregulated, but you can't regulate a technology. And that was the fear. It ended up working out. Yeah, I mean, look, when when Augur launched or, or, or was released, there were dozens of hit pieces calling it like this platform for assassination markets. But the incentive doesn't exist for assassination markets. So like, if you want to have someone killed, there are m- many better ways to have someone killed than an assassination market. Like, look, a stock market gives you an incentive to kill the CEO of a publicly traded company, but, you know, or the president of the United States. That's going to send the, the economy into a tailspin. People don't do these yes. things just because there's a financial incentive to do so, because there's all sorts of game theoreticals and incentives not to do that. Yeah, and we understand them now, and thing, it's just a perfect example of, like, sometimes you have to let things play out. Yeah. Listen, you've you've talked a lot about a thing, about a lot of things before even you fully understand understood why they were important. All those times, I'm sure that the, we talked about in your show, but the heavy cases of imposter syndrome of like, what the hell am I doing? It's, I'm probably wrong. But at the same time, you're now, you now have to look at yourself as like, okay, maybe when I talk, people can listen. And even though I may not know what I'm talking about in the future, I am right. And and so now, well, it's we have to look at it like that. And so now I have to, I'm going to yeah, put my ego aside for a second and tell me why, tell all the other listeners why we're not taking care of ourselves and our skincare. Well, this is the thing. I was giving myself to everyone else, whether it was all the students with the Blockchain Education Network, whether it was making Ethereum and Augur real, uh, whether it was creating the first security token when I was at Blockchain Capital. You know, you're right. Like, I didn't know if I was, we were right doing all these things, whether it would become real or even the potential of what we were doing. Uh, uh, but, you know, what drove me always was this sense of principle, like virtue. Like, I knew I wasn't doing something wrong. Uh, but all of that is very consuming when you feel like you have the potential to impact the world. And I, and I had created a persona for myself as Bitcoin's playboy or party boy. 
you know, I was partying and flying around the world and jet setting and debauching and womanizing. And I wasn't taking care of my health because I felt like it was just necessary to keep on doing what I was doing, to keep the momentum going. You're going in all these social circles and you're meeting heads of it, state and you're it, able to it, get it in their ear. my head about me while being a, a, just a, a total degenerate, quite frankly. And it was working. And I was like, why mess with what's working? But then I started to look at myself on television. I think it was ABC Nightline. And I, I saw my skin. I just like, they didn't put makeup on me. And I, I looked so bad. I was like, God, I need to take care of myself. And that, that's what led me to, you know, after I had really burnt out in 2018 on the whole crypto space, after I had become this face poster child unintentionally for crypto's nouveau riche, that I, uh, I was like, I need to start investing in myself in skincare seemed like the easiest way to do that. But the reason why you invest in yourself, you invest in your skin, is because it's like the basis of good habits. Like, oh, uh, like for me, skincare, especially the way we've done skincare and, and totally simplifying it, it's, it's just two steps, you know. It's a facial cleanser slash shave gel, an all-in-one moisturizer. It's like, if I can do this every day, I can start to build other good habits on top of it like meditation, mindfulness, waking up early, eating well, just exercise. But but because when I put the skin on, it makes me feel good. It gives me confidence to go out into the world. Everything else I do, I have more confidence in doing. So it's all about just investing in yourself to be better because, you know, it doesn't matter how rich you get. I can tell you this. It doesn't matter how famous you get. I can tell you that is that if you don't feel good about yourself and how how your your appearance in the world, how, how you're presenting yourself to the world, you're not going to feel good. Money doesn't solve that. And success doesn't solve that. And so, you know, I wanted to create a platform, a vehicle for empowering men to be the best versions of themselves. I can still do the crypto stuff, but because I had a platform, I had earned people's respect. I had shown that I have a track record of success. I'm like, look, if you do this, you are more likely to be more successful. Even if it's a crazy thing to say that skincare can make you more successful, I think investing in yourself with regularity, creating good habits, it's, it's the foundation. It, it's a cornerstone of any individual's success. And you, 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 as you're like investigating and developing all of this, you're looking out for those products and services that you can take care of yourself on a day-to-day -day basis, and you didn't see any product fit out there for you. Yeah. You didn't see any of the there, out there. I mean, I tried everything. I tried all the skincare companies and it was for any skincare company to say, this is what you need to have good skin. It was five to seven steps. And for a guy yeah. that's flying around the world, never on the same schedule, the idea of having, you know, all these different products, different times of day, different order, different days of the week, it just wasn't tenable for me. And so I, I just, you know, distilled it into a very simple solution that made self-care easy. I want to I want to like kind of bring it back to that common thread where uh growing up I also had I had really bad skin growing up and it totally totally now that I think about it affected why I had low self-esteem because you'd not want to go to school some days you know you mm -hmm. don't want to go you don't want to see what what you'd look at that every, acne, oh my god it was the worst not cute. and that fundamentally changed who I am today and even now you can be highly successful highly wealthy um that that is what makes me an introvert and is what is what prevents a lot of people from being more like social. Let me ask you a question. 
how can folks like myself go back and deal with the trauma of the early years to deal with some of that emotional, those emotional issues, help us harness that energy like you have done into the success over the last decade or so? I've always only been motivated by my failures, but the only time you can really come and address your failures is time alone. Is that in- introspection, like going out for a hike, being by yourself, not being distracted by your phone, really going inwards, journaling, writing through these processes, seeing a therapist, like psychedelics are so powerful, whether it's mushrooms or ayahuasca or LSD, like anything that allows you to look outside of your conventional frame of thinking and really overcome it and, and, and be made aware of whatever is harming you. But, it, you know, we're hyper-stimulated. We're constantly looking at our phones. Yeah. We're constantly surrounded by other people. Like, you know, I think what the pandemic showed a lot of people is how uncomfortable they are being by themselves. But I think being alone with your thoughts is so good for you. I was an only child. I started eating mushrooms when I was 14. And I started doing that work really young, like introspecting and really saying, all right, this is a flaw of mine. It's something I have to address. But like, you have to be willing to say, not everything in my life is perfect. There are things in my past that I have to come to terms with. There are amends I have to make with certain people in order for me to move forward. Spiritual, intellectual, emotional growth only comes from addressing the obstacles that have hampered you in the past that you've maybe gone around. You instead need to see obstacles as the way, as uh, Ryan Holiday puts it, uh, you know, in his books on stoicism. You have to you have to use your obstacles as a launch pad, as 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 a mountain to climb and to surmount and and and, and, and to tackle rather than to be inhibited by self-doubt or fear or avoidance of the issues that have plagued us in the past. Jeremy, thank you so much for coming and taking the time and coming on Untold Stories today. I love doing physical shows. I love doing physical shows with my friends. I hope to be using these studios more in the future. Um, And I'm excited for the future because the best time to be in Bitcoin, the best time to be in crypto is when we don't know what the next day will bring. And I'm excited about that. I'm like finally feeling the excitement of like all the people who caught into our industry who thought everything was going to be standard and normal and like we can plan out the next few years. And I'm like, nope. Honey Badger doesn't give a shit. Yeah, no. One thing I tell people is that what allows me to thrive is the fact that the only constant in my life is change. And and if you're in the world of startups, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but yeah. crypto especially. So if you don't embrace change as the constant and expect continuity elsewhere, you're 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 not going to be able to keep up. Ah, I like that. I like that. Awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure, man. Thank you. That was awesome. I'll see you guys all next week. <laughs> it's water though, so it's good. <laughs>